It's not something I have to offer. I, I can't speak eloquently. I can't, I can't speak it with a voice that would make everybody go, wow, that's amazing. That's not the point. The point is really can we, can we serve him and honor him? And we've been studying through Genesis, and we have seen time after time after time how God has taken people with issues, with frailties, with with series of, of pride and prideful mistakes and how he continues to grow his kingdom through that. And that gives me such encouragement because I know that, that if it had been me in any one of these spots, I would have done far worse. It would have been far more difficult. So one of the things we want to do is we get back into Genesis now. So we've had a little bit of a break, a little hiatus, and we're we're trying to, we, we discovered some of our core values and prayer, and we're, we're going to dig back into Genesis. That might be good to remind you where we've been. What does it look like? So here is the, uh, the five-minute review of the first uh, 20 chapters of Genesis. So chapters 1 and 2 are about creation. So this, you, it's really seriously, that's about as long as it's going to take. Chapter 3, we talked about the fall, but then God showed us the provision and, and the consequence as, as Adam and Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden. Chapter 4, we learned about Cain and Abel, and we learned about hearts and sacrifices and, and, and God picking those who had a heart for him. In chapter 5, we studied the genealogy of Adam to Noah, and we met Enoch, who was and who wasn't, because he walked with God, and God chose to take him up with him but without Enoch tasting death. And what, a, what an amazing picture that is. We learned about Methuselah, the, the, the oldest person that we can come up with as recorded in history. Chapter 6, we learned of the sins of man and how horrible things had become. And, and God said, I just can't tolerate it anymore. There's only one righteous, and that's Noah and his family, and I'm going to take them. I'm going to move them out. Chapter 7, they entered the ark and the flood occurred. And, and they, they, we, we learned in chapter 8 what that looked like. There was a year of being, just slightly over a year of being in this boat with all of the animals and all of the challenges associated with that. But God's provision made everything work. He had everything planned and had everything taken care of and everything was organized. I can't even imagine, you know, you look at that and you think of having all the different animals in the ark and having to deal with that. Can you imagine just, just a group of 100 people being in a boat for a year, you'd come out with 50. The other 50 would either be good swimmers or not. Chapter 9, we learned that that as Noah and his family came out, God said to both him and to the animals to be fruitful and multiply, but go out and, and, and conquer. Take out, go after it. And that that's really one of our one of our charges as well, we see it in a slightly different form when it talks to us about going out and, and sharing the good news. It's really that multiplying us and, and our Christian faith. He gave us an unconditional covenant then that was one-sided. I will never flood again. There's nothing we can do to stop the flood from happening again. God just told us he wouldn't. Chapter 10, genealogy of Noah's sons. We learned about Japheth becoming the predecessor of the Gentiles. And we looked at Ham becoming the predecessor of the Ites. Right, and the Canaanites and so forth, and Canaan being one of his descendants. And we learned of Shem and becoming the, the father of the Israelites. And, and, and we're going to learn some today of, of the Arabs as well. 
We learned about the Tower of Babel in chapter 11 and the genealogy of Shem to Abram. And we first met Abram in chapter 11. And in chapter 12, we started hearing these amazing, amazing promises between, between God and Abram and later Abraham. And we still looked at Abram's lack of faith when he and Sarai went into Egypt and he willingly gave his wife over to the Pharaoh just so that he could save his own skin. I mean, so there's some issues with that. In chapter 13, we learned of the strife between Abram and Lot. So they'd been blessed that the Pharaoh had given them so much. They had too much. There's just no way they could coexist in the same spot. So Abram, in complete faith at that point, and Abram's faith looked like a sine wave. For those of you in science, get what that means. But there were times where his faith was so incredible and times where it looked like he didn't, he'd never heard of God. And, and, and it's a mirror, right? Look in the mirror and you can see somebody else with a sine wave faith probably, if you're anything like me. And there is strife. And so Abram said, I have total faith. You pick first, Lot. We're going to separate. You pick first. Lot looked down in the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was green. It was full of lush grasses and water. And he said, I'll go there. And Abraham looked on the other side, and it was desert and desolate. And he said, I'll go there. And God said, Abram, look. Everywhere you can see from this part is yours and will be the promised land eventually. In chapter 14, we we learned of the battle of the valley, the kings that came in to take over the kings in the valley, and Lot got mixed up in this mess, and he got carried away with the kings, and and Abram took off, and he rescued Lot. And we met Melchizedek, who taught us a lot about what the picture is going to look like when Christ comes again. Chapter 15, we heard another covenant with Abraham, or Abram, and he, he promised many descendants. In chapter 16, Abram and Sarah said, gosh, it's not working the way we thought it would work, so let's go ahead and get a jump start on this thing. And they brought Hagar into the picture. And, verse, and, and Ishmael was born. In chapter 17, Abraham, Abrahamic covenant of circumcision came, and, and we learned a bunch of guys that kept their legs crossed for a while. Chapter 18, we had a visit from the Lord and we learned incredible hospitality from Abraham. We learned this man set himself to watch for somebody who was coming. And when he saw somebody coming, he responded rightly. And he not only responded, but he gave them his best, everything the best. And he hurried and he did it himself. And so there's a great picture of of hospitality. In chapter 19, we saw the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and how Lot and his family left and, and, and went, except for his wife, of course, who turned around and looked because she just couldn't quite give it up. It became a pillar of salt, and then there were all sorts of issues with Lot and his daughters. And then just as recently as chapter 20, Pastor Chris talked about travel through Gerar, and, and you think, of, think Egypt when you see this, because it was the same story. Abraham and Sarah tend to be right at the bottom point. Now, this is astounding to me, because remember in, in chapter 19, or in 18 and 19, God was visiting with Abraham. He came and had lunch with him. He made the promise again, no, Abraham, it's not Hagar and Ishmael. It's going to be Sarah and the baby that you will name Isaac. He had been there. He had discussed it with them. And still, when Abraham moved in and Sarah moved into Egypt, Abraham still gave up his wife. The promise was there. It was so close he could have touched it, and he still willingly did that. I think it's just a great picture for us that, you know, even in, the, even in spite of the times where we're so close to God, where we, we sense his, his hand on our shoulder, 
where we sense him walking beside us, where we sense that, that his presence is just surrounding us, it so, takes so little for us to turn away from that and leave it behind. And so we saw that with Abraham and Sarah. And now we're going to come full circle because we're going to see the faith from here really start to escalate. There's a response in Abraham that, that honestly couldn't have happened, I don't think, if God would have planned this whole thing 25 years ago, because that's when he started with this whole thing. 25 years before what we're going to read in chapter 21, God promised Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he started down this path, and, and Abraham wasn't ready, and Sarah wasn't ready. It was going to take time for them to get to a point where God really knew they could do what he needed them to do. And that's what we're going to look at now as we start back into chapter 21. So we're going to, the, the chapter 21, we're going to look at a, the, the first 21 verses, and we're going to break that into four different sections as we, as we look through this. And the first one is the promise fulfilled, verses 1 through 7. What a pretty time this must be. I mean, what an incredible thing. Put yourself in these guys' shoes. Twenty-five years ago, God said to Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation of you. Uh, but we know that in chapter 11, verse 30, that Sarai, Sarai was barren. So that's not necessarily a big thing, right? She maybe was, if she were 20 years old, that wouldn't be such a big issue. But you realize at the time that Sarah was about 65. Abram was 75. Sarah was about 65. And she was barren. Now, in most people's economy, that pretty much means she's going to stay barren, right? I mean, you really you think about it. We know that there were some differences in longevity uh, between then and now. But still, if you, if you look at this and you put it all together and put your pencil to paper and start running your, your characteristics of things, it ain't going to work. right? So it's no wonder that Abraham and Sarah decided to take things into their hands. But... But in, in chapter 11, verse 30, we heard that Sarah was barren. And in chapter 12, verse 2, God told Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. In chapter 13, verse 16, he talked about his, his offspring being as numerous as and then gave a number of different examples to that. In chapter 15, 5, he said they'll be as numerous as the stars. In chapter 17, 2, he said they'll be exceedingly numerous. That's even more than a lot. Right? I'm going to give you more than a lot of kids and, and descendants. Chapter 17, 5 and 6, he changed their, Abraham's name, Abram's name to Abraham to, to try and bring out again that you are going to be a father of a great nation. 17, 16, he said Sarah's going to be the one because they already knew in verse, in, in chapter 16 when they tried to do it on their own with Hagar and, and God was coming back around to say, no, no, I said you and Sarah. I meant you and Sarah. And it's going to happen. And in chapter 18, verse 10, he says to Sarah, next year, at this time, I'm coming back. And at that time, Sarah will have a son. And of course, Sarah's response was to laugh. <laughs> what, what, me? You've got to be kidding me. I'm an old woman. Should I know the pleasure of my husband when he's old too? Unlikely. And God, of course, said, why did you laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. He said, oh, but you did. And is there anything too great for me? Well, all of that was put into place for this time, for this moment, for this 
God had purposed a time of exile for 25 years for this couple who left their families and moved on to become this great nation, you, you can really see how it must have been frustrating to them. And it's not a surprise. I mean, when you think about it, if I put myself in Abraham's shoes, they waited 10 years for God's promise. That's pretty darn impressive. I don't have that kind of patience. 10 minutes, 10 days, maybe 10 months. But there is no way in the world I could be patient for 10 years when I know there are ways that I could make it happen, right? Physiologically, you see the time clock ticking. You get what happens. Abraham is not the first man on the planet. He understands that with age comes decreasing reproductive status. So he's got this worked out. So it's no surprise that 10 years later, they both, Abraham and Sarah, said, we must have misunderstood God. And he must have said, you're going to be a great nation. I don't know how you're going to be a great nation. I hope you guys can figure it out. So they did it. They went on to do that. But now we know that 25 years later, God really brought his plan to fruition. Why did it take 25 years? Why was it that Abraham needed to be 100 years old and Sarah 90 years old when, when, when Isaac was born? Because he, God knew that, that we as people try to do our own thing. We try to make things happen in our time, in our circumstances. So what he did is he took people, two people that were as good as dead. Right? We're going to see that later. They, they were as good as dead. And he had them have a child. I mean, the likelihood of Sarah, 90 years, 89 years barren, that she's going to have a child, isn't going to happen. So God brought them to a point where they couldn't do it on their own. There was no more. There were no more opportunities and options for them to go out and make this nation on their own. He took them to the brink, to the very edge, had them go one more step, and then he brought Isaac. What a beautiful picture of that. Might we be encouraged with this? In this passage, verses 1 through 7, it talks about Abraham being old three times. Right? So Abraham in his old age uh, talks about, again, Abraham was 100 years old, and then Sarah says, I've borne him a son in his old age. They recognized this was not them anymore. This was God. They got it. This, I think, was the springboard now that you're going to see the faith that these two have and the ability that we're going to see in chapter 22 for Abraham to really take his son, this long-awaited-for promise, and sacrifice him. They had hit it. They had finally achieved a spot where, you know what? This didn't happen because of them. This happened because of God. Abraham was also obedient. God told him to name him Isaac. He did. He circumcised him on eight days, which was, the, which was part of the Abrahamic covenant that he had talked about with circumcision. So I think it's really pretty to, beautiful to look at how God figures into these verse, first verses. It starts out with, Then the Lord took note of Sarah, and as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. 
He never forgot. The other problem we face often is that when we ask God for something and he doesn't answer immediately, we think he's forgotten us. How many of you have really honestly waited 25 years for something? I mean, seriously. How many of us have really put out of our prayers for 25 years waiting for it to come true? We have nothing to complain about that God hasn't answered until we've at least spent 25 years. Right? That's really a great thing for us to remember. We live in a here and now society. Text, email, faxes aren't fast enough nor good enough anymore. I mean, we want something that happens like that. I want my message to arrive where I sent it by the time my finger comes off the key. And, and, and so we struggle with this time, and yet this was a time for these guys to wait Patiently was what God wanted. They didn't. They struggled. There's no doubt about that. But he got there. The beauty of looking at this and how God took care of Sarah really comes back if we contrast that with chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. So now we're going to go back and look at Hagar. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abraham, Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. That's kind of just nuts and bolts. Hagar was pregnant. Hagar, Hagar had a son. They named him Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old. So different than looking at, at, at this for God, where God figured into this. So before, Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar made this happen. In this case, God made it happen. Then the Lord took note of Sarah. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised in the time which God had spoken. Do you see the differences? Abraham and Sarah in their flesh did this. God did this. And it was beautiful because it took so much longer to happen. God confirmed that she was going to have a child. And she did have a child. Verses 6 and 7 are really a praise song from Sarah. And Sarah said, could really translate saying, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So she threw out her heart, recognition of God and what he had done. This was not me. I couldn't have done this. We see this talked about in Romans chapter 4. In Romans 4, we see this picked up, verses 17 through 24. And as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the sight of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he, Abraham, believed in order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, is also reckoned to him as righteous. Now, not for the sake only was it written, but that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who have raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. 
So Paul, talking to the Romans, went back to these verses in chapter 21, in this, in this concept in chapter 21, and he mentioned them, and they were as good as dead. But that's just like us, right? So at the very end, when there's no hope, when there's nothing we can do, there's nothing we can offer to this, he provided Christ for us. You see, we could try. We could build programs and we could build all sorts of things to, to uh, allow us to think us we can get our way to heaven. But in reality, we have to have faith and believe in the promise that God had given us. As we move on in Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 13, we now see that there was, there's been some time that's gone by, probably about three years. It was pretty much a custom of the Jewish people to wean their children. That's somewhere around three years. So we know that Isaac was about that. We don't know exactly. We're going to just go with the customs. If he was, that made Ishmael about 17 years old. So it gives you a perspective of what's going on. And, and they weaned Isaac, and they had a big party, had a big feast. And, and Sarah saw the, the son of Hagar, Ishmael, mocking. So she was a little bit unhappy with that. Now, we know from chapter 16, 12, that God promised Hagar, that Ishmael would be a, a people, but he would be a wild donkey of a man. Right, this is not the kind of guy that's going to take life easy, sit back, relax with his feet up. He's going to be, he's going to be a challenge. And, and, and as we go through this verse, it really looks, it really points out the fact of separating or, or challenging the difference between Isaac and Ishmael and Hagar and Sarah. So if we look at Isaac and Ishmael to start with, it's really the comparison of the flesh. So the flesh came first in Ishmael. He, he came outside of the promise. This was something that man did on his own, Abraham and, and Hagar. Now, we know God opened Hagar's womb, right? We know he's in charge of that. He has an on-off switch uh, for, for all births. It's not us. We can do a lot of things, and we can try to make a lot of things happen. But in the end, God holds the on-off switch to the womb. And in this case, he opened it because he needed to make this example. So Ishmael was flesh, represents flesh, and Isaac represents the spirit. There's a lot of great things in Galatians chapter 4 that really bring that together. So if you look at Galatians 4, uh, verses 21 to the end of, the, of the, the passage, it really talks about how Paul, now speaking to the Galatians, is comparing Ishmael to the flesh. Flesh came first, Isaac to the spirit or the promise. And then as we move on, we see a, a comparison of Hagar to Sarah. And, and Hagar represents the law. Again, in Galatians, Paul brings us back to that. And Sarah represents grace. So if we look at Galatians chapter 4, it's going to really bring some of that uh, into, I think, probably a little bit more clear perspective for us. If, so if we go look at chapter 4 and we start with verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law. So remember back in Galatians, the reason we have the letter to Galatians is that the Judaizers were coming to Galatia and they were changing the gospel message. They were adding bits and pieces of the law into the gospel message. So they were combining things. And Paul very, very fervently was opposing the Judaizers. And, and so he was writing this letter to tell the, the Galatians, Come on, guys. The, the gospel is the gospel. You cannot add to it nor subtract from it. This is the way it is. These guys are adding. Whenever anybody adds, you should be cautious with that. So he's, in part of this, he's trying to help them understand the, the concept, the difference between the law and that of grace. So tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, Hagar, and one by the free woman, Sarah. 
But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these two women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. That's Sarah. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for more are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. So if you look at this, it's really showing a nice core or, or uh, perspective on looking at the, the free versus the slave, and then drawing that down to now law versus, or, or grace versus the law and spirit versus flesh as we go down the generations of that. So Sarah made some mistakes to begin with, right? Sarah did the wrong thing. She pushed her slave woman on to Abraham. Now, Abraham didn't say no. He made a mistake as well. But Sarah started everything going, and Abraham certainly didn't stop it. The, uh, the other challenges that we, we see in this are the neat allegories is the fact that Sarah was first and that's the way God had designed for us just a, a, a life with him in the garden. And that was his, his heart. He knew we wouldn't do it, but it's how he desired to start it. And then the concept after that was Christ. So Christ would be sufficient to take away all of our sins. Hagar came in alongside Sarah. So Hagar was a second wife. Hagar came along. She was added to, just like the law was added to grace. So grace was the first gospel. From the very beginning, grace was the gospel in, in Genesis chapter 3. We didn't, we didn't end up with grace being the gospel just when the New Testament happened. The grace was the gospel right away. That was the whole concept behind it. But then God added law to it to help people understand you can't do it on your own. I'm going to give you the law because none of you can possibly achieve the law. Since you can't achieve the law, you're going to fail. So then you're going to understand the beauty of the grace message. And that's the concept that he was drawing. Even here in chapter 21 of Genesis, Hagar never remarried. Another great example that the law was for the Jews. The Israelites, it wasn't for us. We are Gentiles. The law was never designed for us. So when we add portions of the law, and guess what? We do this. There's, there's, you know, there are many evangelical churches that add little bits and pieces to, to, of the law to the grace message. We can't do that. That is not the design that God had. So now it's time that Isaac can't stay there. He, he can't be part of this. And Sarah said he needs to leave, right? He needs to go. Isaac, it's, or Abraham, it says, was distressed or grievous. It, it translates to shake violently. He was really struggling with this concept that he should do that. But God, ever so grace, faithful, comes to Isaac, or Abraham and says, it's okay. It's okay. Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid, I will make a nation also because, because he is your descendant. So God had a plan for Ishmael. God was going to take care of Ishmael because of Abraham. And Ishmael was, was going to be a kingdom. He became eventually the Arab nation. In verses 14 through 16, now we see Abraham's response and Hagar's despair. So Abraham responded rightly. 
already we're seeing some growth in Abraham now. There's, there's no turning back. He's, just, he's moving forward. And we're going to see that with Abraham as we go. So he got up early in the morning. He took some bread and water and he gave them to Hagar, put them on her shoulder, gave her the boy and sent her away, them away. Now, some people get this confused and make it seem like Hagar's taking this three-month-old infant out with her. And again, remember, he's somewhere between 15 and 17 years old based upon, depending on the time that, he, that uh, Isaac was weaned, we don't know exactly, but 15 to 17. He's not a child. In fact, he's at the age where most, most of these guys would be sent down on their own anyway. So put it all into perspective as we work through this. And so they go off, and the water's used up, and she left the boy under the bushes, Hagar did, and she went and sat opposite him about a bow shot away, for she said, don't let me see the boy die. Do you remember chapter 16 when Hagar was sent out the first time? There there were some really neat things that happened to her, and she made some astounding uh, claims in looking at that. So she, she went out, and she was distressed, and in chapter 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm, I'm fleeing from Sarai. He said, go back uh, and, and do that. And then she called out upon the name of the Lord and she's called him El Roy, the God who sees. That's a fairly intimate exposure, right? Sarai, or I mean, sorry, Hagar heard from the Lord, and she called out to him a name, the Lord who sees, he he saw me. And now we're in chapter 21, and she goes out, things get a little tough, she drops Ishmael under a bush, goes a bow shot away, and says, don't let me see him die. Isn't that just like us? Well, God, I thought you said you were going to take care of us. You told us in verse chapter 16, you were going to take care of us. You told us that you would, we should go back and it'll be okay because he's going to, your son's going to grow up. It's going to be okay. God told her what her son was going to look like as he matured and became a man. Told her he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. There's a picture. Hagar knew what the, what it was going to look like. And she completely gave up on that. And she sat down in total despair and said, take him, but just don't let me see it. Why do we do that? Why is it that when God meets with us in our greatest moment of need and things get better and they look okay, so for, for 15 to 17 years now, Hagar has lived in the, in, in the camp of Abraham. Abraham has taken incredibly good care of Ishmael. They've done everything. She's had no need that we can see. There's been no example of that in the Bible. Been amazingly taken care of. And all of a sudden, there's a little hiccup in the road, and she forgets that there even is a God. We do the same. We've gotta, we need to stop and evaluate when we get there. Why does that happen? We close out with the last few verses, 17 through 21. And we see that God is never not present. So Hagar sits down over here. She's, she's left Ishmael over here. And she's written him off. He's going to die. She's going to die. And that's all there is to it. And the lad cried. And God heard him. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said... What's the matter with you? It really says that right here. What's the matter with you, Hagar? Did you forget? 
Don't you remember our other discussions? Is it so easy for you to turn your back on me? Substitute your name in that, right? I'd have to. What's the matter with you, Dean? Did you, not, did you forget? Did you forget that I'm in control? He doesn't forget. He heard the boy's cries and he rescued them both for Abraham's sake. You stop, right? In the flesh now, I have to stop for a second and I look at this verse and I think, wow, God, it had been a lot easier for all of us if you'd have let Ishmael die. Why didn't he? I mean, God knew there was going to be strife between Ishmael's line and Isaac's line. He knew that many people would die fighting back and forth between this. Ishmael's line is a slave nation. We know that here. I didn't make it so. God made it so. I, I think, I mean, you, you can only look into the, the, the graciousness of God and, and say he kept him alive because he promised he would. He knew he needed to. They will serve him, right? The, 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 the line of Ishmael serves God, not always in the way they choose to, but, but they are useful to God. No, no, more, no more useless than we are, certainly, at times. He kept them around because he needed them. He also knew some would come to him as, as, as their savior, right? And so people from Ishmael's line have come to know Jesus Christ. Hagar is also a beautiful picture of us. Wandering, lost, confused, thirsty, blind, giving up in despair. And, and she is just a beautiful picture of that. And what is it? That's what we look like. We sit down just a bow shot away from the truth. And we refuse to see it. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to acknowledge it. We want to pretend that it's not going to happen to us. So what lessons did I learn this week as we finish up? I learned a number of things. One is God's timing is perfect. Now, we say that a lot. I say that. Everybody up here says that at different times. I've heard it from most of you guys at different times. And yet tomorrow, probably yet today, I will find some problem with this timing. All right? When he makes a promise, he keeps it. Go back to lesson number one. In his time. But he always keeps it. He promises. He keeps his promises. And they occur at the perfect time. There are often many summits to cross before we get to the final pinnacle. There are many times, and I threw in the picture on the next slide if we could please. There's a picture of the mountains, and it doesn't show up terribly well, but it's a great example that sometimes that peak that we're going to, that promise, we don't realize that there's three or four mountain ranges in between us because we don't have the perspective to see that. We have to be patient and trust that as we're going through the peaks and the valleys, we're still heading in the right direction. It's easy to be excited when we're on top because we can see the destination. But when we get down into the valley is when we have to be the most trusting because we can't see the destination anymore. We have to trust that God really has us going on the right path, that there really truly is a destination for us. And last of all, God is merciful and just. He could have wiped Hagar and Ishmael off the map right then and there. 
It could have saved what we might believe as a lot of challenges and problems in the world. But God had made a promise. And he always keeps his promises. And he was faithful and full of grace towards Hagar and Ishmael, even though he had spoken to Hagar 15 to 17 years ago and promised her, I'll take care of you and your son. By the way, your son will be a nation as well. He will be a wild man. So you know he'll grow up. Don't doubt. Don't lose faith. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for your message. I need to hear it every single day, multiple times, that your timing is just right, that you promise, your promises always come true. I need to learn to be patient, Lord, because I want them to all happen right now. I want them to all happen immediately, quickly, with no pain, and honestly, with no effort on my part. Help me, Lord, to be patient and wait upon you. Help me to be the kind of man that, that Abraham becomes, to, to be one who recognizes that even though I waited 25 years for, for you to bring me a son, to become this great nation, that, that if you ask to have him back, that you have a plan. And thank you most for being gracious to us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to hang on the cross for my sins. Lord, you knew before I was even born that I would be a sinner. You knew that before I was even born that I would deny you, and you knew as well that I would have a faith life that, sh- that mirrored Abraham's and that there were times I would be very faithful to you and there were times I would completely lose faith in you. And yet you still chose to, to snatch me out of the pit of despair. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your message. Grow us, Lord. Change us and make us, make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.